Well, we are in a sermon series on speaking Christianese, where I'm taking a look at some of the words that we use as Christians and, and looking at their metaphors and their backstories. And today, we are ordaining and installing officers that we elected last week at our congregational meeting to be elders and deacons. There are a couple of them here. We're going to ordain and install them after uh, I have uh, after the sermon. Uh, but I thought today I'll just look at some church words and reflect a little bit on what it means to be a church. We stand on a very unique moment in history for what it means to be a church. On March 8th, 2020, we canceled worship due to the rise of COVID-19. That week I recorded and posted a sermon online for that service. I was supposed to be traveling out of town and instead I was stuck in town and learning how to record and post online. I had not done that before. It was a little bit of a crazy week. For 10 weeks, we did services exclusively online, including through the Easter of 2020. Okay, we started a drive-in service with a trailer and an FM transmitter on May 17th. On a few rainy days, we recorded or we, we did services from this window. Eventually, we put in this bright big window, which we affectionately around here call the Pope window. Uh, and actually, when we did it, I thought about getting a Pope's mitre, like a hat to wear. but didn't want to offend anybody, but we, I, I thought about it. So we did, we, did, uh, we did that for 25 Sundays. We did drive-in only. And as the weather got worse, we did the Pope window. And then November 8th, we started doing two worship services, the 930 and the 1045 Sanctuary with masks and social distancing. We did, we did that for four Sundays. And then, remember, if you remember in November and in December, around here, COVID hit. And at one point, we, we had, I think I counted about 16 or 17 church members that either had COVID or were quarantining and waiting on testing. And uh, so we, we pulled it. December 6th, we started doing only drive-in again with an, in, in online services, mail-in services. We did cr the Christmas party, Christmas Eve, and drive-in like this. On February 21st then, the beginning of Lent, we started our indoor service back again. This Sunday, April 25th, marks the 60th Sunday since that first strange Sunday. So this is 60. I remember I started a folder on my computer when this all went down called coronavirus period. And I thought, I'm just going to like, you know, because bulletins are getting weird and sermons are different. I'm just going to like, and I'm, I got to communicate an email. And I'm just going to keep a folder of all these things. And here we are 60 Sundays later. I'm still working out of that folder. <laughs> like I'm still 60 Sundays later. So of those 60 Sundays, we've done 14 in our sanctuary. So only about a quarter, less than a quarter of our Sundays of the last 60 Sundays was the sanctuary even open. For years, I've heard people say that the church is not a building, it is the people. But I don't remember ever having to test that hypothesis until the last 60 Sundays. We've all tried to say it's not about performance, it's not about entertainment, it's about community. But, but when was the last time we had to not do the community? You know, we had to take away the entertainment part. We had to take away the gathering parts. When's the last time the location and the activity had to stop? Well, what an amazing opportunity to start thinking about what it actually means to be a church. That as we, as we start to put things slowly back together, 
what, what, this is the great opportunity to say, well, we can't say we've always done it that way because for 60 Sundays we haven't done it that way. And so it's a great opportunity, a great moment, a great chance to reorient ourselves to, to what it means to be who we are. The, the word that the church of the, the, is used for church in the Greek is ekklesia. And I talked about it a little bit last week. That it was, it, it's, it's the gathering that the Romans would do when they would say, good news, euangelion, good news. They'd say, good news, we conquered somebody else. And they'd gather the whole town in an ekklesia and say, hey, hey we got good news. We conquered Syria. We conquered wherever we are. The Persians are no more. Good news. And the church said, now we're going to be a gathering of a different kind of news. And so the, the, the early followers of the way would say, we're, we're going to gather for different. And they weren't called Christians at first. The word Christians meaning little Christ. That comes along later. They called themselves followers of the way. And I believe that the central act of the church is worship. Worship is what we come to do more than anything else. But, unfortunately, this is another word that has had lost its historical meaning. We tend to think of worship as a synonym for praise. And we normally think of and associate it with singing and music. It's worship. It's a style of music, in fact. Worship music. And that's why when somebody says that we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God for eternity. Some of you who don't really like to sing think that sounds like the other place, right? Um, but, but worship is not just singing. Okay, it's something much more. That, that word has changed meaning. And, and really in the last few generations has become about worship as music. If you had told the early church about worship music, they would have looked at you funny. Worship styles, they wouldn't have understood that because they had a different understanding of worship. Worship in the Greek and the Hebrew actually referred to slaves or servants and what they did. To worship was to serve to sacrifice for, to give up something, to be physically labor. It often was physical, okay, that you, you actually did something for somebody else you were worshiping. Okay, in, in the 1549 English Book of Common Prayer, when they did wedding vows, the groom would give his bride a ring and he would say, with this ring I thee wed, this gold and silver I thee give, with my body I thee worship, and with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. Okay, so in the Book of Common Worship in 1549, um, the, the, a groom would pronounce that with his body he would worship his wife. That doesn't mean singing. Okay? Like, and my wife praises God for that, right? Maybe if it was my job to sing for her, it would not go well. Okay? It, it's not to sing. It means to give. It means, like, my body... My life, this ring is a token of the way I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice for you. It's a physical pledge. Everywhere in the Bible that the word worship is used, it's not about praise. It's not about faith, but about service. Let me give you the most common example of this that you, you may have heard before. And it's a scripture I come back to a lot. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. 
So for Paul, what worship is all about is presenting your bodies, your life, everything you do physically in this world, okay, as holy and acceptable and changing your mind, transforming and renewing your mind so that you're able to see what you're supposed to do in the world to sacrifice to God. That's worship. Okay, that's worship according. So singing could be part of that. Liturgy, coming to church, giving an offering. Like I can make an argument for all of that. But, but I could also say that when you do a great job at work, it's worship because God put you there. Okay, when you are spoiling your grandkids, it's worship because God, because God gave you your, that responsibility. When you keep your mind pure on the internet, when you, I mean, when you do all kinds of things in this world, you're, you're worshiping, you're giving yourself to God. Life is worship. So the early church wouldn't have understood a worship service or listening to worship music or a worship style or a worship war. Like, oh, we have to worship with this style of music. No, it's this style of music. The early church wouldn't have understood that at all because for them, music and worship weren't synonymous. Worship was about serving. It was about your life. And so what we do is we come here on Sunday mornings in a, in a special space at a special time to practice for the rest of the week. Okay, Because it is way easier to worship here, I hope, than it is at work. Right now, At work, no one's pressuring. There's no bulletin telling you how to worship at work. You have to figure that out. There's no pastor that's like pushing you to do that at work. You got to do that. So this is practice. It's like basketball practice. It's like football practice. We come here so that when we get out in the real game, we're ready to go. We come apart here so we don't come apart in the world. Remember, the early church was also Jewish. And I mean, it was almost exclusively Jewish at first. It was read, led almost exclusively by Jews for a long time. And, and I don't think that as, as the church was starting, these, this ecclesia, the followers of the way, and we're going to be about worship, um, they weren't trying to start a new religion. They, they saw themselves as a continuation of Jewish worship. And so, so I think it's helpful just to think through what, what they would have had in mind for what a gathering would do. Okay, they continued to worship at the temple and the synagogues. They saw their faith as the new covenant, the next step. So our Jewish roots gave us some special emphasis. One is Sabbath, that there's a special day we set aside to make sure that we focus on worship. Then there are special days, okay, a special holiday to, to mark significant moments in our faith, special times. For them, it was, it was Passover, and it was, uh, it was all these other festivals, the Day of Atonement. For us, it's Christmas, and it's Easter, and it's Pentecost, right? Israel had a tabernacle, then a temple, then local synagogues. They had special altars built on, in different places to remember the story. And so, so there is an emphasis on place, that sometimes you can come to a special place. Maybe, I hope your church is like this, but, but you probably have other places in life that, that are just beautiful places that you love to go to, that you have a sense of the divine there that you don't have other places, right? There's something about place that can show you uh, a lot of stuff. Now, the, the other interesting thing about Jewish faith is that there's a lot of different beliefs. So what doesn't unite Judaism is belief. Okay, uh, Judaism argues all the time about what it believes. And it did in Jesus' day too. Belief doesn't hold people together. Worship holds people together. And so the early church took on many of these traits. They would gather in homes for a meal. 
The meal would be followed by a time of teaching. There were there were no Bibles in the early, early church, so people would just have to tell stories or maybe open the Old Testament, or maybe if your church was lucky, you'd get a copy of one of these letters that Paul wrote, or you'd get parts of a gospel that you were sharing with other church communities, other gatherings in the town. So then you'd go through the teaching, you'd go through the sacrament, there'd be normally some prayers and an offering that's, ex- that's taken for the poor, and then you would leave to go about your week. And if you think about it, still basically the order of worship that we use to this day. As the church grew and expanded, it became more Gentile and less Jewish. And so it, it, it had to change its structure a little bit. Um, for, at first, the disciples led the church, and then other people like James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul led in different ways. So they developed this idea of what's called an elder. The word elder is, uh, it's just literally the word for older. Okay, There would be people that would be, would be set aside for like the elders. Uh, for the, and the, the Greek word, by the way, is presbyteros, presbyterian. Okay, they, there would be these presbyters, there would be these elders that would lead. But, but here's the challenge. The challenge was, as the early church was trying to set up worship, they were trying to set up structures, they were really busy. And then there were all these needs in the community. Okay, there were a, a number of orphans that were getting left alone. There were a number of widows that really couldn't support themselves. There were a number of people who were, were part of the family was becoming follower, were becoming followers of the way, and then other parts uh, were not, and then so families were divorcing. And suddenly you had a widow who wasn't really a widow, but their husband would have nothing to do with them because now they were a follower of Jesus. And so the church had to like figure out how do we take care of these people while we as elders have to lead. And so they developed this idea of a deacon. They needed somebody, they needed a group of people that's not lesser than them, but that can take on a different level of responsibility in caring for the community and caring for the people in the church. And so they they got deacons, and you can read about them all in Acts. Stephen was the first head of the deacons. Um, By the way, he is also um, the first martyr. So if you signed up to be a deacon and you want to reconsider, this probably is a good moment to take some pause. Um, I mean, they, they... the deacons were attacked. The deacons were important. Now, I don't have time to take you through a whole history of worship, but, but I want to fly over two important stops that lead to our worship today. Uh, for the first 300 years or so, Christianity was a minor minority religion. In fact, early followers of the way in the Roman Empire were called atheists because in the Roman world, you had lots of gods. There were lots of different gods. Like, how could you just have one god? They couldn't even understand that as a religion. Okay, and the only people that, that did that were those weird Jewish people, right? That was so foreign to them. And so, uh, so they're called early Christians atheists. A lot changed during the reign of Constantine from 306 to 337 AD. It's debated whether Constantine really became a Christian or just succumbed to what was the growing majority of his population. But... Uh, either way, during Constantine's time, Christianity gained a home field advantage. Okay, it's sometimes called Christendom, where the dominant religion of the empire was Christianity. And really, Christendom in the West, so in Europe and then into the Americas, stayed from the time of Constantine in 300 until, a, I don't know what you officially want to mark as the death of Christendom, 
But in the last hundred years, Christianity has lost its home field advantage. But until then, Christianity was pretty much the dominant voice of the West. Lots can be said here, but the key for our discussion is that under Christendom, you get church buildings. Okay, really before that, you don't have a lot of church buildings. Christians worshipped in synagogues. They worshipped in homes. But, but then you started to actually get a lot more church buildings and beautiful buildings and large buildings. Now, now in some ways, the, there was a downside, right? Because as soon as you have a building, you have to keep up a building. And then you get these things called trustees. And then you get, you know, there's like a whole like series of stuff that, that uh, can a little bit be a struggle for churches. But at the same time, most people couldn't read. Most people couldn't afford a Bible. So the church became their Bible. Okay, the actual place became, and so, so sanctuaries were set up in the shape of crosses. They were full of symbols and pictures and statues and stained glass. Why? Because people couldn't read the Bibles. They had to walk in the Bible. And uh, a lot of sanctuaries had a high vaulted ceiling, not just so people could be in there, but so that they could in some ways experience the grandeur of God above them. And a lot of times it had structure to hold it up and they made it look like the inside of a ship turned upside down to remind them that they were fishers of men. So the church buildings developed to teach people to live lives of worship. Right? The whole point was you come in here to learn the symbols so that when you go out in your world, you can live it. Again, the emphasis isn't on there. It's on out. Now, our second stop relates to the fact that we are a Presbyterian church. In the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages of Europe, it was a scary time. There was an emphasis on, uh, there's a lot more superstition, and there was an emphasis on the Eucharist as really the special dispensation. The communion was like the high point of worship. And then in the 1500s, with the invention of the printing press, the world sort of pivoted. The mindset moved from superstition and fear to logic and optimism. There was a growing trust in words and a push to understand the world before the Middle Ages. At the time, there were two main church bodies, one smaller set called the Orthodox Church and one other set called the Catholic Church. And, and the word Catholic just means universal because they were almost the only game in town. Um, during this time, a group of people started to question some of the Catholic teaching that had come out of the Dark Ages, uh, especially a guy named Martin Luther, they would start to protest, and they would desire to reform the church. And so they were called the Protestants, and they were called the Reformers. Um, eventually, they ended up having to start their own churches and their own denominations. But most importantly, the center of worship changed. And so the center of worship, instead of being communion, which was happened at every Mass, we started talking about, talking about worship services instead of Mass, and communion wasn't every, every service, and the high point became the sermon the opening and the proclamation of God's word. Also during this period became an emphasis on right doctrine and right theology. So what it took to be in the church, I mean, think about this. If a church starts based on what it believes and doesn't believe, then it's going to divide over the same thing. So what gets you in and out is what you believe. See, that's a whole new emphasis for, for Christianity that came out of the Reformation. And to be honest, the, the Protestants are still, we're still protesting each other and trying to reform each other to this day. Now, part of the Presbyterian heritage is also Celtic, which is an emphasis on story and nature and experiences. I, I think the Celtic 
our Celtic tradition, we've largely lost. I want to do a sermon series and some research into that eventually. Um, but, but the emphasis on logic and the emphasis on order and the emphasis on a sermon, that's part of our Reformed heritage. So this is your story. You show up on a Sunday morning, you are standing in thousands of years of development. And not just Christian, but also Jewish development of some of these practices. We stand in this unique time, right? Where we don't have to be on automatic pilot. Christendom is over. We don't have the home field advantage anymore. They're not cheering for us in, in, in the world today. Christendom's over. Modernism and, and the Enlightenment is over too. And so here's the challenge for Presbyterians. The Presbyterians were born and bred in the Enlightenment. Okay, it's the only water we've ever swam in. So part of the question for Presbyterians is, can we survive and can we thrive in this new environment? COVID has accentuated all of these challenges and changes, but it also gives us an opportunity. And the opportunity is for us to reorient ourselves. So the church isn't entertainment. For heaven's sakes, if church was entertainment, I can find better entertainment than this on Netflix. Okay, church isn't music. Okay, you, you now have iTunes. You now have YouTube. You have access to great music and great speakers. Like, if the church is going to try to win the entertainment game, we are going to lose that game. In the modern world, we cannot win at that game. Well, the opportunity, though, is for us to help people encounter the divine. The opportunity for us as a church is to understand worship as living, as serving, so that when we come to worship, we're we're getting ready for the game. And Christians, we all have to understand that the game is not played today. The game is played tomorrow. It's played Tuesday afternoon. It's played Wednesday morning. It's played, okay, this is practice. So we come apart like this to worship, but so that we can worship the rest of the week. So this week, be tuned into the Spirit. When you're at work, when you're with your grandkids, when you're on a run, when you're working in your yard, when you read your Bible, when you do all these things, wherever God takes you this week, may you see it all as worship. May your whole life be oriented to God, and may we be a church that helps people find that orientation. And may other people find the divine through our church because they see you worshiping in your own life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.